G'day everyone. As, uh, as Sue said, there's two Bible readings, one from Genesis chapter 3 and the other will be Romans chapter 8. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realised they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. The second reading can be found uh, in Romans chapter 8 on page 1133. And we'll be reading from verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation For the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, 
but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Hi everyone. That's a bit echoey. Hi, good to be with you. Uh, what do you think of that song? It's an interesting song sung at a charity time by Ed Sheeran. Um, I'm not a particular fan of, but I thought that song was interesting uh, to kick us off today. How do we fix a broken world? Well, according to what Ed was saying, it's you can fix a broken world, as you can see on the screen. Love can change a world in a moment. But what do I know, is what he said. He uh, is an interesting guy because I, I, um, you're usually one or two people. You usually are a lyrics person or a music person, and you care more about the music than the lyrics. I'm a lyrics person. Uh, you know which one you are. And so I like to find out why people wrote songs. And so I did some searching to find out what he said, and I finally found him talking about the song. And he kind of said, look, I'm just a 25-year-old goose from Suffolk, essentially. He said, I don't know anything. That's why he said, what do I know? I'm not anyone. Tell- people just tell me to be quiet and sing my songs. Uh, and so I've never been to university. I don't read the newspapers. I don't know. I don't have a particular political opinion. But I look at the world... And I kind of just thought, we're really messing it up, aren't we? And I don't really know the answer. What do I know? But I have one thing that I live by. My mantra is just to love. More love can only be better. Love, love, love is kind of the idea that he gets across. Not that it's going to, he even says it's going to fix everything necessarily, but love. That's all he's got. And that's what that song was about. Why do we think of that? Isn't that something we've been saying for a while as humanity? Let's just love. We can go all the way back to the Beatles. All you need is love and every song in between somewhere. How many songs are written about love in some way? And that'll just be the solution. Forgetting the soppy, lovey-dovey ones. There's other real love songs, right? There are all those other songs about love. We're desperate to solve the world's problems by love. What do we think of it? Love is powerful. Before we rubbish Ed and say, you know, you're a goose, you don't know anything, maybe he is tapping into something. Maybe there's an element in which he is kind of pointing us in the right direction. What do we think? Well, don't just reject it outright just yet. Let's see uh, where we go today as we consider how we can fix a broken world. And there we go. Well, uh, there we go. See, what we're doing today is we're dealing with a world 
that is messed up and broken. We're dealing with a world that's messed up and broken, and how does it, is it fixed? We're saying that the Easter message is what fixes the world. What we've been doing over Easter, last Good Friday and Easter Sunday, this Sunday and next Sunday, is we're considering how Easter is the solution to the world from four different angles. We saw how Easter on Good Friday deals with us personally. We saw on uh, Easter Sunday deals with death, our biggest enemy, one of our biggest enemies. And today we're seeing the world in general creation. How is it going to be fixed? And the argument I want to make for you today is that the solution is through the death and resurrection of Jesus. A union that he brings through his death and resurrection. Where he brings heaven and earth together again. And I want to suggest to you this is a way of seeing what the Bible is all about. This unity of the world coming back to the heavens. Now, I reckon many of you are like me and like a diagram to clarify things. Who likes a diagram to understand stuff? Hence, those who do put their hands up straight away, very passionate. I like visuals to help me understand. And these concepts are kind of out there. As we're talking about how God deals with a broken world and God's space and our space. And so I just want to show you a little clip to help frame what we're talking about today. And we're going to use circles that come together and pull apart. And we're just going to see, Daniel, you can clip through it for us, this little clip, the minute of the Bible project. So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here, there's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature. But here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but... This idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. Well, that's just the little beginning of their clip on heaven and earth. And you see how we've got two spaces. We've got heaven, God's space, humanity, our space. And we're seeing that it's broken, they're separate, and we want to see how God's going to fix the solution today. So that's what we're looking at. And so to do that, we really need to start from the beginning and travel through to get a good understanding of it. So hopefully you'll be able to come with me as we, as we do that. If you haven't got a Bible, feel free to get up now and grab one. Um, when we look at Romans 8, that might be helpful for you to have that in front of you. Uh, and, and grab an outline as well. Um, in these outlines, I totally changed the outline. Sorry about that. Uh, just because last night I, um, I just wanted to reshape everything. So on the notes page, if you're, I know there's a few of you are notes takers, you can just use the notes page and I'll point out the points as we go along. Because what we're staying with, how do we fix the world? Point number one, we need to go back to the Garden of Eden. We need to go back to the Garden of Eden. You see, what we have is God and humanity living in the same space together. 
in that sense, heaven and earth are overlapping, those two circles overlapping on each other. As we see, the picture of the Bible right from the beginning is a place where humans are working and exploring and living in harmony with God. And it's a beautiful place to be. The Garden of Eden is described in beautiful uh, simplicity. We see it on, on the screen there in um, chapter 2 of Genesis. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the, in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was a great place to be with abundance and it was with God, that overlapping. You see, um, where everything goes bad that we just had read to us in chapter 3, we know God's there because he was walking there with them. In verse 8, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God and he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God was with them. It's a beautiful picture. God with humanity. But the thing is, as we see um, with those circles, that overlapping gets torn apart. See, point number two is there is a great split of God and his space, and humanity, and our space. And it's our fault. That's what we read in Genesis chapter 3 that describes the story how we say to God, we don't want your way. What we saw in, in a Garden of Eden is kind of heaven on earth, and the split makes it heaven and earth. See, humanity decided to rebel against God and what he wanted. That's what we read. God told them how to live, not to eat from that, um, from that tree. You'll know the knowledge of good and evil. And they, no, God, that's what you want, but we're going to do it. And the story of humanity is continual rebellion. Wanting to know good and evil for ourselves so that we can be God instead of living for God. The split is because of us. Humanity, the space we are in, the brokenness of it is because of humanity, of what we see Adam and Eve had done in the garden and like our ancestors, we continue to rebel. And so the result in chapter 17 and 24 is banishment out of the garden, out of God's space. And it's, the description was to go east, out of the garden. Now, when an Israelite's reading that and they're thinking east, where are they thinking? They're thinking desert, wasteland. That's what was east for them. It is a place of toil, frustration, angst, and ultimately death with no access to God. That is the curse, the punishment. There's the pain of childbirth given to Eve and that image of childbirth is really important as we get to Romans chapter 8 a little bit later because it really helps us see what's going on for creation. We have an abundant life of food and freedom with God in the garden, a great split, and now we have toil, frustration, decay and death. That's the problem with the world that we need to establish. We are really mucking it up. It's really right on those words, I reckon. But it's not like we can just look now and go, you know what, we've just started to muck this place up. 
We're always doing that. It's always been that way. It can take different flavours. We can get more depraved in, in certain different areas of life. And so, you know, immorality and relationships in the last uh, few decades, we really have taken a turn. But the brokenness, our rebellion against God is just always there. And creation is now, like humanity, separated from God. What's the solution to this? What is the solution at Easter? Well, I want to suggest to you that when we see what Jesus has done, he is bringing those two spaces back together through what he does for us, what he does for humanity. And so as we really get to the meat of of the talk today, our third point is creation is longing Creation is longing, longing for a new creation. That is, longing for restoration, longing to be fixed up. And we see that in Romans chapter 8. If you've got a Bible in in, in front of you, open it up there to Romans chapter 8, one of those most spectacular chapters in the Bible. Uh, You'd be hard-pressed to make an argument for any more uh, spectacular chapter. And we're going to look at those verses Jack uh, pointed out to us earlier, but Before we get there, the context isn't creation, the context is us and our standing before God. See, the point of talking about where creation is heading is Paul is reminding the the people of Rome that you're not condemned anymore. The banishment and the consequences of that death, in Jesus, there's no more condemnation. Verse 1 of chapter 8 frames the whole discussion. There is therefore There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That promise of restoration to humanity shapes how creation can long for something that's going to happen. And this no condemnation is because it goes on to frame the whole chapter around the idea that we are children of God in Jesus. That we are adopted as sons, which we will mention a bit later as well. And so... We get to that verse in verse 18. I consider, this is Paul saying, I consider that our present sufferings, his his actual sufferings for following Jesus and all that's wrapped up in that, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. What's going on there? He's saying... What you have now in suffering, all this pain and angst, this persecution of saying Jesus is the king that he's facing, it's, it, you can't even compare it to the good of forever and the glory to come. You just, you just can't compare it. It's a little bit like um, if I grab this communication card, okay, and I give this to, I'll give it to Seb, say, now, can you just hurry that? Now, just weigh that up. Okay, you got that? Now, can you just go outside and pick up my car? Which one's heavier? Go, go, go. You're not going to pick it up, are you? Because it's not worth comparing, is it? What's heavier? The car, right? It's ridiculous. You can't, it's so beyond, you just wouldn't do it. See, what he's saying, what he's saying here is the suffering is horrible as it seems. When you step out of that context, no matter what it is that you're going through, and here in relation to Jesus, the glory the spectacular forever that is to come, this new heaven coming back together is so spectacular that 
we can't comprehend it, but you, a way of saying it is you can't compare it to the horrors that you're facing now. And so, in light of that, you have the creation that is caught up in our rebellion in verse 19. And what is it doing? The creation waits in eager expectation. What's it waiting for? What's the creation actually uh, waiting for? The children of God to be revealed. You see, creation and its restoration comes about when the children of God are fully restored. Why is it waiting for that? Because creation, in verse 20, is actually frustrated. Have you ever been frustrated? Do you have weeks where you feel like all you've been is frustrated? Yes? If I'm with you if you do. Some weeks, even when you don't want to be, and some weeks it sends you on a spiral of negativity and you annoy everyone around you because you're so frustrated with something, even maybe rightly frustrated, but it takes you down a dark path. Verse 20, the creation was subjected to frustration. Not it became frustrated in of itself, it was made frustrated by God. Not by its own choice, but by the will of one who subjected it. Is that because of us, creation, and all the messed up ways we see it, God has said, well, the world's now broken. It's, it's, it's that banishment that we've seen, that casting out in Genesis 3. We shouldn't be surprised that creation is really, really frustrated. And so it doesn't work harmoniously. Things we just say are a way of the world, natural disasters. No, no, that's because creation is frustrated by the will of the one who subjected it. Well, that's not very fair, God. Is God just being a bit wrong in doing that? Well, the end of verse 20, in hope. You see, the plan was never just to kick us out of the garden, was it? The plan was never just to say, oh, well, my creation, it was fantastic in the garden, but now it's just a mess and it's frustrated and it's no good. No, no. In hope, there was always the plan for its greater restoration. Verse 21, creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Uh, Tim Keller's uh, a little book on Romans, he said this great uh, uh, sentence that I think is really helpful. There is a glory coming that will be so blindingly powerful that when it falls on us, it will envelop the whole created order and glorify it along with us. The whole created order is coming with our liberation and glory. It's going from bondage and decay, a frustration, a cycle of death and decomposition into freedom with the children of God. That is the promise. 
And we see in verse 22, the way that this is described, it's the, and a great illustration. I, I love it when the Bible gives the illustrations. It's the great moment when you read those passages. And in verse 22, it's such a helpful illustration if we can pull it apart and see it clearly. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Future fulfilling joy after pain. It's childbirth. The curse given to Eve actually points us to eternity as well. That before the child is born, there's pain and agony and labour that I'm not going to sit here and pretend to you that I can imagine one little bit. If Jen was here, she'd tell you with Emily, I fell asleep when she was being born. I always get reminded of that. (laughs) The pain and then new life and joy. It's sometimes been described to me as a, a, you almost can kind of forget the pain, the euphoria, that the way God has used uh, 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 physiology uh, for women is so spectacular that there's this actual physical sense of relief because of the joy of the life in front of you. We know the whole creation has been growing as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Creation like, I hate this. I hate being broken like this. I hate the messed up way that we are, but there is the time of new birth, of new creation. It's a spectacular picture. How does this actually take place? It's what we've been seeing last Easter weekend uh, on Good Friday and on Easter Sunday. And in verse 23, we have it described really simply. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. And here's how this uh, verse finishes. The redemption of our bodies. The idea of redemption fits so well into the idea of slavery and decay because redemption means being pulled out of slavery, being pulled out of bondage like the Israelites in Egypt. That is what redemption is. To go from being in a place of disaster and servitude and slavery in a negative way into freedom. We wait for that because what has happened is Jesus has gone to the cross. And at that cross, all of the, that needed to be paid, our bondage, our slavery, he took on himself. And then he dealt with it and conquered it. Now, in the context of what we're talking about in God's space and our space, just for a moment, realize what Jesus did at Easter. He is God who is perfectly good, holy, who cannot have wickedness. We have split away from God, rejected his ways, a broken, messed up world. And what do we hear at Easter when Jesus comes? Emmanuel, God with us. That God steps out of his space into our space, becomes flesh for us, 
to restore us and the creation. He steps into our place. He deals with our rebellion, our splitting away. He deals with it by amazingly taking on humanity and taking on our punishment. That is what redemption of our bodies is about. Our bodies being free from slavery because the God who is perfectly good takes on that slavery and the punishment for us. And so the creation that's waiting for this to happen can see that there is new life with the redemption of our bodies. We are pulled through the resurrection of Jesus. This is why the Easter solution actually can stick. That it can actually work because God is the one dealing with it. So, if through the resurrection of Jesus and Him dealing with our sin on the cross, our bodies can be redeemed and all of creation with us, what does this mean for the future of a broken world? That's our fourth point. What does this mean for a broken world? It means coming back together. It means like in the circle imagery, them overlapping once again. The new creation is restored. The Garden of Eden, which is actually now depicted even in greater ways, is new. We're not looking into thinking about heaven. It's something out there. It is a new coming of this age. Of this world, sorry. A new creation. We see that in Revelation uh, 21, 1 to 5 and a little bit after. Let me just uh, highlight that again for you. These great verses that if you, you should just know back to front and never get sick of. You see, verse 1 right at the beginning, we can just pass over that kind of title, but it's actually where everything heads. That's why the whole Bible is about, about it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away and there was no longer any sea. All the problems that we have, all the brokenness of the world right there are shown to be gone because there's no longer any sea. That's why that's there because the idea of sea was chaos, destruction. That's how they saw sea. It was brokenness. There's no sea because there's harmony. There is a new heaven and a new earth in relationship together, the first heaven, the first earth, they're gone and renewed. That is what it means for this broken world. That is what Easter does. We read on in, in verse 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Not only are we dwelling with God, look how beautifully it's presented to us. I saw a holy city, not just a garden, as spectacular as that was, the garden is now a holy city. It is beautiful. It is what we are longing for. Let's go on. You see in verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Instead of, banishment instead of no chance of being in the same space as god jesus dwells with us when he becomes flesh so that in all eternity 
we dwell with God and he will be our God, he will be our Lord and we will live for him. How good is this picture? He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. The old order of broken world, of banishment and curse because of sin, our rejection, our rebellion has passed away. So what's that leave? A God who's wiped away your tears. I consider our present sufferings not worth comparing because there's nothing to compare anymore because the present sufferings are done with. And then we get to verse 5. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Everything is good again. And it is spectacular. It's so precious and spectacular. In verse 10, he carried me away. This is John being shown this uh, vision in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. That is, there is nothing more precious, is the point of those descriptions of those jewels and crystals. There is nothing more valuable, there is nothing that we should not want than to see the heaven, God's space, come into our space, into new creation forever. That is God's plan. How good is this picture? This is truly a wonderful hope. And it should be our desire because we don't want a broken world. We don't want a world with poverty, with war, with natural disaster after natural disaster, with injustice, with crime, with abuse, with addiction. And we certainly don't want a world where my very real, devastating, feels like never being able to forget personal pain exists. This picture is God dealing with it through the death and resurrection of Jesus. The new heavens and the new earth. So what do we make of Ed and his mantra to love? Well, no amount of loving can do what we just saw. Cannot bring in a new heavens and a new earth. None of us can. But we kind of get love and sacrifice. And every year, this time of year, we remember the sacrifice of many years ago and when we remember Anzac Day and all those that have died for us. And the sacrifices, when they, what do they want to uh, provide? What do we remember? That they provide us freedom. That we can live in a place where maybe there is less war, less poverty, less injustice. And we acknowledge that love and sacrifice. Ed, I reckon he's tapping into the right idea. But where we diverge where anyone who says you just got to love, we need to diverge from. It's not that the world ultimately needs our love. Sure, the more we love, it's going to be better for the world, right? Anyone, whether you follow Jesus or not, if you love rightly in a way that's helpful for others, it's going to be better than hating someone. It's going to 
make things better, but it's not going to ultimately fix the world. You see, it's not that we need to love more. The problem is the we. The problem is, is that it's God's love that we need that fixes up the world. You know that famous verse in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God so loved the world that split away from him that he gave his son to go into the world to bring it back to him. So that if you believe in what Jesus has done for you, that if you believe in him, you can partake in that life. You can have eternal life in the new creation, in the new heavens. It is because of God's love we have this picture before us. Can I encourage you never to leave that alone? And I encourage you today, if you're wrestling whether you actually are just mumbling your way through this broken world without Jesus. Do you want to miss out on the new creation? Where all those things we've just seen that it's heading towards will be yours forever in Jesus. Can I encourage you today just to acknowledge you need him? And we, we prayed a prayer at the beginning today, a confession, because we want to be God's people. And so we acknowledge that we sin and that we acknowledge that we're forgiven by him at the cross. And we ask him to change us. Can I encourage you not to let today pass you by without coming to Jesus? If you would like to wrestle with that more, I'd love to help with you. If you've made that decision today, that is why Grove exists. I say that all the time if you've been coming. We exist because we want to figure out what it is to live for Jesus. And if you're here, if you're doing it for the first minute or you're doing it for the, you know, the hundredth year, that's why we're here, to do it together. And we'd love to help you work that out more. But as we finish at our last point today, what's that mean for the way I live now? Point five, our last, our last point. What it means is a verse that I brought up on Sunday last week. And it's really important because it gets us back to our diagram. 2 Corinthians 5.17 You see it on the screen there. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. See, what's it mean now is that there is actually an overlapping of the spaces uh, in in, in like circle-wise where the cross is. And that cross kind of bleeds out into other aspects of life as people through the Spirit are transformed. We live now because we are a new creation, not fulfilled, not in the new, uh, not everything hasn't been made new yet, but we have been transformed. It's not, not just something we look to, it's something we live in now. Otherwise, verse 17 would read something like, if anyone is in Christ, one day you will be a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And it's from God. It goes on to say in verse 18, not from us. Jesus brings this new creation to us. 
And so it means we live for eternity now, not just on a lounge. Going, oh, I can't wait to be there. That's going to be great. should do that. But that's not all you do. <laughs> you don't just lie on a lounge. Oh, I'm just looking forward to heaven. I'm looking forward to the new creation. It's going to be great. Everything's no pain. So I'm just going to lie here until it happens. Or we remember what caused the split in the first place. Us saying to God, we don't want what you want. And now we decide to live by this simple way. God, what you want, I want. That's how we live now. So we actually get off the lounge and we seek to be changed. We seek to live for him. We actually seek to, seek to be shaped by his love and understand real love by looking at Jesus. We understand what service is. We understand what sacrifice is. We can be alluded to by the Anzacs, which is spectacular, but we understand total true service through the sacrifice of Jesus. We understand what God wants by looking at his character and seeing Jesus and who he is, and we see that is the character that I am supposed to be transformed into. I am not content with my total bitterness. I am not content with my bouts of anger. I am not content with those moments where I slip into depraved thoughts. I am not content with those things because I want what God wants because I'm a new creation. And it means... We know that we are going to be in a new restored world with God. And so, once again, we don't just lie on the lounge and say, oh, who cares about the world? We actually do care about it. We are made in the image of God as caretakers of the world. Actually, it's not the greenies who get to say what the world should be like. It should be those who love God who have been caring about the world. And we should actually not want to just fix it and deal with all little um, instances because that's the ultimate goal and we're just no more important than anything else. We should actually want to care and tend for the world because we know it's going to be transformed. That's a whole lot of talk and thoughts on that, isn't there? What we're going to do after next week when Jake wraps up our series, we're going to be having a series on discipleship about following Jesus, as we think more and more about what it means to get off the lounges of new creation and live for him. What are some of the characteristics of a person who is a follower of Jesus, a new creation? And that's going to be something that we can do together to encourage each other to live for Christ. This is a spectacular picture before us. I think we should uh, uh, pray thanking God that the broken world is not going to stay broken. Heavenly Father, we just give you great thanks. What a spectacular, spectacular uh, story you have revealed to us about what you are doing. Uh, This morning we've acknowledged that we get it wrong. We acknowledge we get it wrong knowing that we have forgiveness in your son at the cross. Knowing that you are bringing in a new heaven and a new earth that we can long for. That we can be a part of in in those of us who trust in Jesus. And so Father we just pray. We just pray that you will 
continue to help us to live as your new creation. Longing, longing for it, living for it. We thank you for Jesus. Amen.